this is Kath and uh, this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness and I'd like to welcome you to episode 16. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Chris, Dom and Alex. So hi everybody, how are you? Hello. Hello. Everybody okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm in need of a bit of help actually. Are um, you? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I, I have this really bad habit of murdering houseplants and one thing that's brought me a lot of happiness over the last couple of months has been um, uh, an orchid which has been sat in my office um, sometimes you'll be able to see it on the, the webcam uh, when we're doing these mm. recordings sorry people at home you will never have seen this orchid maybe it's a good thing because it's looking it's an exhausted orchid at the moment that'd be a good name for a band wouldn't it exhausted <laughs> um, but it's just kind of gradually just gone from a kind of lovely resplendent tropical looking orchid to just just oh like it's heaving a sigh and it, I, I think I'm about to lose it. And it's not It's not happy, is it? It really isn't happy. It's It's the Geordie guy to unhappy orchids. Mm. And I don't know, do, do, how, <laughs> w- w- is it me? Or do orchids do this? Has your central heating come on a lot recently? Oh, it has, but it's nowhere near the radiator. Mm. So you're, you're, you're talking to the mm. woman that kills cactuses, so I'm probably not I the best d- person to... Talk to her about that. <laughs> How do you cut cactus? By pouring um, petrol I over mean, it and burning it. I am going back to my student days where I had a wonderful cactus and I watered it before I went home for the summer holidays. Then my flatmate watered it, and then my other <laughs> flatmate watered it. So we all thought we were doing a good thing, um, and we killed it. But hey ho. <laughs> That's what happens, the, isn't it, sometimes? The road to horticultural hell is mm. paved with good intentions. Sometimes orchids, <laughs> though... <laughs> sometimes orchids, though, just... They go a bit... They go like that, don't they? Do they are they a bit sort of prima donna-ish? Mm. Is that, yeah. And they look like they're dead, and then they just sort of spring back to life, is what I've heard. Mm. But I'm... I'm quite a risk I hope so, because it, it has brought me a lot of happiness. I do like plants. I do like green stuff particularly around the house. And I just feel really guilty if I ended up murdering it. Maybe so we could do a call out on, on Twitter to the listeners to give us orchid advice. Any orchid <laughs> experts out there? <laughs> well, we, yeah, we've had somebody talk about forestry. We went and talked about somebody that's, that's in, talk to somebody that's into uh, gardening or... Yes. Yeah. Prune it with a chainsaw. Yeah, we haven't yeah. had any uh, gardeners yet, have we? No. Let's get some gardeners on. Yeah. Was that prune it with a chainsaw, Kath? Well, he did mention forestry. (laughs) 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 It's a bit brutal. It's a bit brutal. (laughs) I'm feeling quite happy this week because I think I might have found somewhere indoors to skate. (gasps) So um, I'm a nice wooden floor as well. So uh, fingers crossed I can actually get my eight wheels on because now that we're into October, dry pavement is few and far between at the minute so uh mm. and they've they've got rid of the tarmac at seat and sluice i'm devastated it was the best path to skate on and they've turned it into a gravel path and you cannot skate on gravel <laughs> so uh, i'm hoping you know next time we chat i may well have been uh, on eight wheels so i'll uh, keep you posted Good luck with that. Can can you not get like little chains for your wheels, like for cars driving on ice? <laughs> Just tiny little chains. On the snow snow tires. <laughs> yeah. For, for my skates. <laughs> it's 
if we if we can't we should maybe that's a new thing for dragon's <laughs> den or something i don't know As- aspirational that one yes that yeah. i mean that that goes back to chris's guitar that he talked about <laughs> last time doesn't it i want the best roller skates <laughs> oh that that would be commitment wouldn't it coming up with some snow snow skate wheels hmm interesting i i, I think there is another sport which, which vaguely resembles that like ice skating <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same <laughs> but you could call them uh snowler skates snowler skates <laughs> <laughs> We better trademark that before we go out live. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say this is not what, this is not what you do in a public podcast. Do you think we should crack on a bit? <laughs> before we give something else away. <laughs> oh, I think it's about time we introduce this week's guest interview, and I'm I'm glad we're laughing because um, I interviewed Andrea Carter and had a wonderful time with with uh, she she is such a warm and uh, intelligent, generous person, and uh, in her role, she she's lead producer at D6 Culture in Transit um, in Newcastle, which I discovered I knew better as ISIS Arts. Um, so it's a very well established organisation in Newcastle, and has done some wonderful work in the past. And uh, she's the lead producer for one of one of the programmes there. Um, she was an artist, and now wants to develop artists in the future, which is wonderful. And she's had a, quite a few challenges over the COVID months. But what I'd really like you to listen to is the comments that she makes on retrospective happiness and also her book recommendations. So here's Andrea's interview. I hope you enjoy it very much. <laughs> Hello, Andrea. Welcome to the world of uh, the Geordie Guide to Happiness. <laughs> and I, I wanted to start just quickly with uh, what have you been up to this morning? Anything interesting? Or what have I been up to? I've been up to um, a circuits class. So after the school run, I go and do some exercise at a local gym, which is really good fun, <laughs> really hard and often soul-destroying. Um, <laughs> but um, I enjoy it. Um, and I've also been reading as well. I've recently oh. come across an author called Britt Bennett, who's um, an American novelist. So I've been reading her first novel called The Mothers, um, which has been good. So a very it's- slow day. That doesn't sound like a slow day to me. <laughs> Have you been reading a lot recently? Or? Um, on intermittently, I would say. Intermittently. Um, I've had some really good recommendations over lockdown. Um, and I think the best recommendation has been a book called The Emperor's Babe by Bernadine Evaristo. Um, I've never read anything like it. It's just absolutely fantastic. Um, set in the Roman Empire, um, Hadrian falls in love with a beautiful Sudanese young woman that comes to Londinium in AD um, 211. Um, but it just mixes kind of contemporary verse and references 
um, with, with that period of time and her experiences of falling in love and having quite a tragic end. So mm. I've really enjoyed that. Is, is it something you've, you've started to do because of lockdown or are, are you an avid reader? I'd say I read intermittently. I, I love reading, but it comes in waves of, in, you know, mm. in intense reading and then kind of perhaps months of, of not really kind of immersing myself into anything. But I've been, I was talking about this to um, the team I work with at D6, but very attracted to women authors um, at, at the moment. So really enjoying sort of quite different, different women authors like Bernadine Evaristo and Deborah Levy and Cash Carraway um, and Andrea Levy as well. So oh. a range. <laughs> so the, the Geordie Guide to Happiness is exploring how, how people feel in themselves about, about whether they're a happy person. or And I wonder, do you consider yourself to be a happy person? I was thinking about this, thinking <laughs> lead up to the interview, <laughs> and it's a, it's a tough question, isn't it? I, I, um, everybody says I'm quite a smiley person, um, but yeah, I I don't know. I think I I kind of struggle with happiness often, actually, if I'm truly truly honest. Um, in so what the, the, in what way? Um, I I think I'm a little bit I, I'm very I'm quite sensitive and a, a natural worrier. So I think true moments of happiness are very kind of snatched private moments in time. I could just think a bit freely um and easily. So it's often in the small acts where I'm very happy rather than the big occasions and the expectation of those things. I find that really interesting, actually, because um, a, a, a smiley face doesn't always equate to happiness. I, I think I would echo that one. And one, one of the things I was going, going to ask you was, um, do you sometimes find yourself doing things that you don't look forward to but then end up thinking wow that was that was that was really good that that did something for me so happiness comes after after yes. the event <laughs> can you yeah. can you relate to that I I really can actually yeah I I I really can and quite often that might be in a a professional work context where you need to present or or represent and that, that feeling of, of worry that you carry with you for weeks, days or months is something I can definitely relate to. So, yeah, I like the idea of kind of retrospective happiness or the realisation that you were kind of fueled from adrenaline or fueled from something. And actually, that felt good. <laughs> can you think of an example? I Yeah, I think there's been lots of moments in, in the past. I, I think it's really... It's really funny. It's really funny moments. Like, it sounds ridiculous, but I cycled to and from work, which is only three or four miles from Newcastle to Gateshead. And quite often there's a feeling of dread of going up the hill. This, this hill I've done that a hundred thousand times. 
Perhaps it's a metaphor for something, but it's just never as bad or the wind hasn't got you as as, as badly as you thought. Um, <laughs> it's it's weird. So it can be really small, ridiculous, monotonous things like that. And then, you know, kind of perhaps one off unique events which you want to go well or you want to impart a sense of, of happiness or connectedness or where you really need to be fluid and articulate do you you ever find that that need to do that puts you in a situation where at one point you tip over into being unconscious of it and you you get into into the flow of of the event as it were and your nerves kind of die away a bit yeah I think so I think it's that I kind of think it's all that classic kind of advice isn't it about looking people in the eye and knowing that you're speaking to human beings and that actually there there's a there's empathy for you there's empathy in in the room and I think you just forget forget those moments Um, it's a a lovely feeling that isn't it when you feel supported do you work in a team you must work in a team yeah I I work in a really lovely team I work um, for visual arts producer which is very long established in Newcastle. It used to be called Isis Arts um, and was renamed D6 Culture in Transit oh, a couple of years ago. That explains something, <laughs> yes. I've worked in the arts for, for many years and I can honestly say like this this is just an excellent environment to work in. It, it's really nurturing. Conversation is really important. Checking in on one another and who we work with is important. So I feel very lucky to be within that kind of environment at the moment. So if you wanted to create a template almost for a happy working environment, do you think that would be it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's as it's as simple as as that really. It's 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 conversation, it's it's giving time to one another, it's kind of understanding what context each other might be working in and I think with lockdown I felt a lot of support and goodwill and generosity from the people that have been working with and hopefully been able to offer some of that back but that's been yes that's been a really good thing. There's some lovely words that you've used there to describe your working environment that's really fabulous. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice place, and coffee fuels us. Fuels us through. <laughs> uh, we're all on the same page there. <laughs> I think the Geordie Guide to Happiness team enjoy their coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you used to be based in Newcastle in um, Summer, not Summerhill Terrace? It was. Um, Oh yeah, so we're we're based in Charlotte Square. That's it. Which is, yeah, it's a kind of interesting little corner in the city, just off Westgate Road, really close to Central Station, Um, and we are in a a building with several other charities and small businesses. Um, So it's been interesting. We've just been kind of slowly returning back to the office and. You know, the best conversations are often the people that you meet in the corridors, you know, who are busy at work. And, you know, I think it was interesting to kind of hear the the weariness and the impact of these small 
you know, in conversation with one person in particular in relation to, to COVID. So we've been shoring up and we've been trying to stabilise and, and reshape our activity and what we do. Um, and we're getting there. But I think for for some people, that's, a, you know, well, obviously, it's a kind of perilous state at the moment. So to be, yeah, to be mindful, I think, is of that is interesting. Do you think that the way of reshaping things is going to be, a, I say permanent, but not in a not in a negative way, but I think there are some positives to get out of it. Do you think that's the case in your field? I, th- I think in the cultural sector there's there's questions that have needed to that that have an urgency now that have been urgent for for many years and kind of thinking about black lives matters equality healthy working practices processes and workplaces so i'm i'm positive and hopeful that these things can be addressed with a real commitment I think what we miss is that face-to-face and one-to-one connectivity with people. So for the last three years, we've been working with an artist called Hena Kanan, um, who's developed a number of artist-led walks, really, that explore our, our heritage landscape, the natural world, with people who are newly arrived or are resettling in the area. And that that work has really fed a kind of number of different ideas and kind of manifestations of how we connect with people and with artists. So doing things online is, is very limiting and um, being together and kind of, especially on the walks, uh, was a was just really good for everybody's well-being. So it's been a real miss. And I think slightly grieved, gone through a bit of a process of not being able to do the work that we had planned. And I think typically at lockdown, we were just at that point where we had so much planned <laughs> um, after quite an intensive period of fundraising. But you, but you move on, and you do, you do what you can, and you do the best that you can for people, and and try and be as responsive as possible. It's it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, and I think we're you know we we're carrying a fatigue and an anxiety. But yes, we we yeah. do we do what we can. I have a very wise friend who keeps me grounded in the in the sense that she keeps telling me we always have to acknowledge the anxiety and the the not being able to do things it's right to do that yeah. yes definitely um, what about what about outside of work what makes you happy outside of work um there's, there's quite a few things i mean i really um for us as a family we we really enjoy venturing north we travel to be something that's quite important to us as we've got young girls and bought a camper van um, when the youngest one was a baby. So I kind of made a conscious decision that actually we, we, we plan to go away for a certain period of time and we might go here, but just be aware we might go somewhere else as well. And that like, made a really conscious decision that that's how we want our kids to kind of experience the world and have a bit of flex 
flexibility or spontaneity. <laughs> but uh, uh, over this period, you know, we've been going a lot to Northumberland, um, particularly um, Rumbling Kern and Sugar Sands and Boomer. And I... I bought a wetsuit as well, which was a bit of an ordeal in itself. <laughs> but after living up north for 20 years, I just thought it's it's time to get more than your feet into the northern sea. It's just, just go for it. <laughs> so um, even though it's only happened a, a few, a handful of times, that's been a real, that, that's been quite exhilarating. Going into the sea and feeling that very cold current when you're a few metres out and kind of inflating and deflating, (laughs) getting used to this suit, looking out for jellyfish or, you know, you might get a sighting of of a seal. But that I had a really lovely conversation with my oldest daughter. And that was really, that was, that was really lovely. I remember, I'll hold on to that for a, a long time, but just as bobbing about in the sea together and, and chatting and just having that perspective back to the beach that was that was really lovely that is so special to have that experience it's just an incredible coastline I imagine that a lot of people on this podcast mm. series that have, have have kind of referenced it because it is such a fantastic and dramatic coastline as, as well particularly kind of rumbling kern and I love it when you see Kind of the old, I think there's a carving in the rock there that a scouts scouts group were there in the 1930s, and you know, just just little areas like that are really, really great. Have you ever come across the the Panama Swimming Club at Whitby Bay? I've heard about these swimming clubs. <laughs> <laughs> they swim in up and down the coast at Whitby Bay, and then they have their dip on New Year's Day. Yes. And to me, as a not particularly a water lover, the idea of swimming in the North Sea is anathema, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I can quite see where you would get the thrill of that perspective. It's a different perspective, isn't it? It really is. Mm. Um, I, yeah. And I think that, you know, I... I keep telling myself, oh, I, I should go in the sea this week. So there's a, already a sort of pressure of like, come on, you've got this, you've invested in this thing, <laughs> just to go in the yeah. sea. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully we will. But I think over the last few weeks, we've had to self-isolate. So it's been, yeah, we just need to get back into that groove that we had, I think, before a kind of slight disruption that we're all experiencing on some level. That's another level of anxiety, isn't it? Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you cannot go out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to the work, I should I should possibly know this, but are you an artist in your own right? Um, no, I'm not. I, I came up, the reason for me coming up to Newcastle was to study fine art at Newcastle University, which was a long time ago. It's 1998. And really from there, it's been quite an interesting, I guess, unplanned experience working in the arts. So I just happened to graduate and 
get a job at Baltic when it first opened. So I was part of the the crew there and that was a very exciting time. And I did have a small studio for a few months. And I think really for sort of six or seven years, I I attempted to, to practice, but actually realised that I think my my interests and kind of investment was in working with artists and communities and a strong interest in heritage as well. Um, that was a very, very personal kind of investment for me and, and still is. So I then did a curating course at Sunderland over 10 years ago now. And I think that was a, a, a good move. I think there was an anxiety again <laughs> about the practice and the non-existent practice and the practice in your head and, and all of that. Um, but it was, yeah, it's good to sort of, it was good for me to kind of just, just leave it. Actually, it's not what, what drives me, though art is really important to me and working with artists is important to me and practicing myself happens in a different way. I've come across recently a phrase called an influencer and I think that sounds to me the role you have. It's not directly producing a piece of art but you're influencing others to do it and that's a really creative way of using your skills, isn't it? I think I like to, um, that's really nice of you to say because I, I like the idea of being backstage. <laughs> so, <laughs> creating order. <laughs> And, and not being, not putting yourself out front. So I understand, you know, for for the artists and, and quite often when we work in community settings as well, you know, we, there, there's a real sensitivity um, and I think you have to sort of work with care about public facing or, or putting people at the front of things. So I, I like to quietly, I like to quietly support and help make connections um I get a lot of enjoyment happiness <laughs> from 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 doing from doing that bring it bringing order out of chaos or, <laughs> or a bit more chaos or mess <laughs> often <laughs> I get the sense from from looking at the at the website and now that now you've that made me realize that ISIS Arts was was the organization there's, there's quite a, a political or an act, activist strand to the work that I think underpins some of the things, or the reason why you do some things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a very strong organisation developed by um, Sharon and Clemeni, you know, absolute, and others, but, but Sharon and Clemeni have driven a really excellent organization and I think that after the referendum in particular a program that wasn't going to shy away from saying this is this is this is potentially devastating how how are we all feeling how are we reacting to this and I think that that well we have to be careful that that acknowledgement is really important because we are working with artists, we are working with communities as ourselves. We are all impacted by by these decisions. Um, some may think of favourably and others not so favourably. But I think in, in the last 
couple of years, you know, we, we've really thought very deeply about migration and um, about the kind of uh, the historical legacy of colonialism from from both perspectives of colonized and kind of yeah. colonial power, been thinking very deeply about sustainability and also um, heritage as well. And the way heritage narratives are, are so nuanced and they're so complicated and difficult and actually fluid, but quite often or very often they're just not presented that way and people don't see themselves reflected and they don't see themselves acknowledged. And often we don't talk about all of these things together, all of these difficult, complicated things together. So while we're working with newly arrived communities, the kind of home office system and the the implications and decision-making that impacts the individual connects with the kind of political decisions over the last 70 years that have created the Windrush scandal. You know, there's a there's a complete absence of kind of teaching of British Empire in our schools. And there's a even now very little appetite or motivation for people in power to change that. So it's a it all connects and it's all very difficult and complicated. But I think the way that we work with artists and communities, it's it's trying to explore these difficult questions in different ways and, and hopefully very positive, nurturing spaces are created to generate that thinking and generate mm-hmm. that work very locally or it could be very micro between a group of people or we could try and do something that's more strategic. But I think, again, it's important to to, to work like that um, to see what the possibilities are. It's at the individual level, isn't it, that you begin to gather the the realisation of ex- of life experience yeah. and how people have not had opportunities that other people have had. I can relate that to the group of people that I work with, which is the older generation, and I, I collect life stories and, and memories from them. And the saddest thing is when you realise that some people have very, very low self-esteem and... As an outside person, someone who has a fleeting relationship with them, you can see the potential within them. Mm. And to get them to raise their confidence is is such a... It's a privilege, really, to be part of that and to make someone realise that you are well thought of. Yes. Um, so... I, yeah. I agree with that. I... Um, it made me think of something I somebody I haven't thought about for many years just saying that when I was university I used to return back to my hometown and one Christmas and one Easter I, I was working in a care home it was I had lots of different kind of temporary temporary jobs and one at a care home came up and I, I made a, a lovely friendship actually with a, a woman that was in the last weeks of her life she was called Levain and 
Her father served in the First World War and he named her after the village that he had very kind of particular memories from his time in service. And she she was such a fantastic woman. You know, we had an instant connection. And I... It, it was interesting because she was pretty... She, she wasn't, she was very much kind of bedridden, to be honest. But by going in and um, helping her in her day-to-day, I felt she read me quite quickly. And then we had these lovely, quite deep conversations, quite revealing conversations with one another. Yeah, I, I haven't thought about her for a very long time. This was like 20 years ago. But really interesting that you say You never that. forget. You know, yeah. And I, th- I think that relates back to your earlier comments when you you talked about small moments of happiness and yes. fleeting almost and, and you don't always realise them at the time. Yeah. Um, when you were looking back at that, the look on your face was you were reliving that good moment. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it feels quite emotional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, um, makes you think. It it does, but I think it's always. Um, I won't say I'm nostalgic, but I've, I I've always been interested in kind of his, histories and and stories, and I was also thinking a little bit about my gran as you were talking there. She had children very young in Barbados and she came to England and she just grafted. She just worked. And we used to go and visit her. She lived in Milton Keynes in this new town. And this, this, this house, which I found absolutely fascinating, but I, I don't think we, we had, a, had a bond. I found her quite strict. I loved her and she was very generous but it's it's kind of interesting because recently I've been thinking about her and what her stories is and thinking about kind of her vulnerabilities, her happiness, her unhappiness but I was watching um David Olasoga's documentary, which was addressed, you know, which gave a really forensic look at why the Windrush scandal has happened through looking at legislation, you know, over the last 70 years. And there was something he said, there was something that prompted women saying goodbye to their children who were going to Britain and either staying in the Caribbean or vice versa leaving their children with grandparents in in the Caribbean and going to Britain. And how traumatic that must have been, how how difficult that must have been, that kind of fracturing of family life. And, And though for some it might have been typical, those questions and thinking... But I, I would love to ask her, which I won't get the opportunity to, but, but I'd like to go back to. Looking forward, how would you like your children to enjoy their life or, or to make the most of opportunities to be happy? <laughs> yeah, I think that they're really, it's really interesting, the, 
the kids because they're um I think I was quite introverted and they're they're hmm I think one of them is an extrovert one of them's possibly an introvert I guess we need to figure that out along the way because the two can be quite confusing to decipher <laughs> but I I think I would you know it goes back to that kind of trying to instill a sense of of travel and curiosity and mm. not not being overburdened to try something and it that feels the very kind of generic thing to say but I I think you take from your own experiences and mm. your own reflections and just have the confidence <laughs> curiosity is one of my favorite words I've learned it eventually that it, it's a key to a lot of things and it's a, ha- a happy key to a lot of things I agree that's a really good point <laughs> so I know you're you're going to do the school run shortly so are, yeah. have you got anything planned for the weekend um I'm not sure I'm going I'm I'm going to be doing some weightlifting on Sunday. This is something. Oh, you... <laughs> this is something that gives me a strange, twisted joy. <laughs> you bring that in right at the end of the interview. I'm that not is so very, unfair. I'm not very good at it, and it's you know. But um, on it, on Sunday, um, there's a, a young woman called Lauren who leads the class. She is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> And committed, and um, there's yes, I enjoy that on a Sunday. There's something about physical strength and testing of boundaries, which um, I'm very much enjoying that at the moment. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to have to add that one into the to the uh, the lovely panoply of things people that make people happy. Yes, <laughs> Andrea likes weightlifting. <laughs> I love. I love to. I love to find a group of women to talk to about this at length. <laughs> we might be able to organise that after that after be, this project. That would be great. <laughs> oh, I'm conscious we're getting a little bit close to three o'clock, so we'll wind down a little bit. Okay. It's been. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Do you have any? Thinking that you that we're in Geordie land in several different t- contexts, have you any favourite Geordie words? Oh, I love the word Ben. I love the word Ben. <laughs> I think it's so lovely. <laughs> it's so sweet, and it's just I I use it a lot. The Bens, Ben. I love it. It's very. <laughs> I don't know the origins, or I don't. You know, I don't know. Anything about the word Ben or where it came from? Oh, we might have to research that. Oh, we'll, we'll get we'll get posts that say you should you should know what that means. Especially, <laughs> especially me being a born and bre- a born and bred northerner. See, yeah. am I but, saying uh, it properly? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, the ben, the Bens, yeah, yeah. The I think you got pretty, <laughs> a pretty good go at it. Yes, absolutely. I, th- I think that's a really nice one to, to finish <laughs> on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right then, so I enjoyed that interview, but I'd love to hear what you all thought about it. Oh, there was so much in there, wasn't there? I really, yeah, that was a fab interview, Kath. Um, 
Andrea's laugh is just infectious. Um, and I could really relate to so much she sort of talked about. Um, I really appreciated her honesty, um, that yeah. she's not happy all of the time. Um, I thought that was really a really interesting thing to to comment on. And when she was talking about reading as well, I am very similar in terms of I go through phases of reading really intensely and then I won't read anything like her f- for months on end. And I don't know why that is, but that's that's what I seem to do. And I think as well, I, I really enjoyed her thoughts and conversation on how she was feeling really positive and hopeful about issues like Black Lives Matter being met with real commitment, especially within the arts sector as well. So I really thought that was interesting. And of course, I could relate to the camping as well, because uh, <laughs> we, we've been taking our two girls camping in our camper van since I think Rowan was about six months old, you know, and camping with a, with a baby uh, is challenging, um, but <laughs> lots of wonderful adventures as well. So yeah, loads, just loads and loads in there. There was so much to, uh, to talk about, and I really enjoyed listening to it. So the thing that got me was um, about Geordie Words, because the language around here is, I mean, speaking as, as, as an incomer uh, from, from up north, it's, it, it's, it really strikes you about the, 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 the vernacular uh, down, uh, down this part of the world. Um, so, I mean, bairns, the word that she was using has got, you know, that's, that's we call children bairns in, in Scotland. We just kind of put a slight different kind of bairn. Uh, on it. And I was thinking what my what my favourite Geordie word would be. And I think it sorry, it's it, it's really obvious, but it has to be canny. Because um, it's one of these wonderful multi purpose it's a Swiss army knife of Geordie words. You can sort of pr- use it in pretty any situ- any situation. And I, I just remember when I was doing my teacher training, this is going back a long time, this is about nineteen ninety six, where I was doing teacher training in a um and a comprehensive down in South Tyneside. Um, I was terrified and probably really bad at it as well. Um, but I found out that some of the kids in year nine had been saying, oh yeah, Mr. Thompson, he's he's very canny. And I can't tell you how happy that made me <laughs> just to kind of know I had that seal of approval. It felt like the ultimate accolade. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I think... Uh, if I can jump in on on the on the favourite Geordie words as well, uh, I love the term "bonnie lad" bonnie because lad, yeah. if you're not from here, you don't really fully understand what it means for a while. Mm-hmm. I was working in a gallery years ago, and an important curator had come from down south to put some stuff up, and he was winding the front of house team up to no end, and one of them just said, "You just tell us where you wanted bonnie lad," and. Uh, he, he, and yeah, he, and he, but after he was having his dinner, and he went, "Oh, I think they like me." He called me Bonnie. Lad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him, like, uh, okay, yeah. so sort of the anti-canny, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of my, uh, a lot of my southern friends just do not understand shy bands getting out. Um, <laughs> they're like, "What? What?" But then, when you break it down, it's obvious. But so, when you first yeah. say it, they're like, "What on earth are you talking about?" <laughs> but I think "shy bands getting out" is a phrase I like to use because, yeah, what yeah. have you got to lose? Just go for it. Yeah, just do it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked um, what she was saying about when she got back to the camping thing. Actually, uh, using that as a moment to teach her kids that it's okay 
plans can change and that's all right as well. So she was saying she'll they'll start they'll set out to be to go somewhere, but they might go somewhere else as well, and, and that's okay. Yeah, and that was really nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really struck by the the picture of her swimming with her daughter in in the North Sea up near Druridge Bay that Chris has just discovered. Um, <laughs> So, so that 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 will stay with me. That that mental picture of of the two of them having in depth conversation. Yeah. So that was my chat with Andrea. Absolutely wonderful. If you've been inspired by the podcast episode, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. And you you can get in touch via email. Hello at the Geordie Guide to Happiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Guide or Facebook the Geordie Guide to Happiness. We can't forget the funders. This project couldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. I'm going to hand you back to Alex now because she's going to tell us who's coming next week. Yes, well, next week we've got a rather special episode coming up with members of First Step who have been taking part in some of our happiness workshops over the last few months. And First Step works with women from all over the world who have made Newcastle their home. And I've been chatting to a few of them about happiness um, and what uh, what that means to them to bring you this special episode. So I can't wait for everyone to hear that. So you'll hear me ask questions like this. So what do you think of Newcastle then? You've been here three years. Um, do you like the place? And hear answers like this. Cold. <laughs> that's uh, what I, that is what I'm struggling every autumn and winter. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, every season because mm-hmm. you, you never know. Uh, oh, even in summer, you can have one day of all seasons. Yeah, you can have a, 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 a summer in the morning and then suddenly it's uh, uh, it's snowy and then it's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, four seasons in, in, in one day, yeah. Thanks, Alex. So we'll wrap up from episode 16 now. Look forward to your, your session next week. And let everybody say bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>